0: Of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this morning you can open your bibles to Philippians chapter 4. You know, Ricky we were talking before and um, you were making mention there. It really is, you know, the Easter everybody, you know, packed out last week and there's just that uh, jelly bean sugar high. You know, that everybody's on and you, you've had some of the candy and stuff. And so everybody's just kind of in this over-the-top mode. And then you come back to the reality of life. And when we look at that spiritually, folks, that this should not happen. And don't you wish that it did not happen? That sometimes that when we hit spiritual highs in our lives, that we didn't have to come back to a place of just going, okay, this is the reality. That, yes, that was a good day, a good week, or a good month. But here's where I am today. Now, there's milestones in lives that really do change forever your life after that period. Uh, People would say when you get married, it forever changes your life. From that point on, you're not just taking care of yourself. You're in a partnership, and you're in this relationship for life, and it's one of those that changes your life. Another one that really, really just changes your life, one of those milestones, is when you have a child. And when you have a child, it starts off kind of, you know, like, you know, cute baby and everybody's smiling. But can y'all remember, for many of you, the day that if you have a child, that you took that child, made sure that the safety, you know, the new seat was properly done, because I think they even check you at the hospital now, and you put the child in there. And you get in there, and and especially dads, you crank that car, and you're going, oh, my goodness. It's, It's not a family of two anymore. Now it's three, or for some Uh, you know, four or five, you know, and you take that baby home, and you know there's just this milestone, you know, my life is never going to be the same. Now, that doesn't mean that it's bad. (laughs) No, there's many, many highs, but it is different, and it is challenging sometimes. Milestones that happen, and everything after that is just different. Well, folks, that's the Resurrection. With the life of Christ, when Christ comes incarnate, when, he, when God himself comes and comes in human form, comes and dwells among us, and then has ministry, and then lives, dies, is buried, and rises again. Father, folks, it, it, it's a milestone event. It is the milestone event in all of human history. I don't think that anybody could argue that there is another event in all of human history that can stand up to that one as far as really changing the way that you and I would go about living our lives. And so this morning we're going to kind of start a little series about because he lives, because of this resurrection, how does that change your life and my life? And this morning we look at that area of contentment. Now again, I ask you this from time to time. Uh, it was part of the life group for some of those who have been in the life group uh, This morning. If you had to start with a scale of one to 10, one being that you are not content whatsoever, 10 being that you're just very content where you are in life, and you know, work, play, finances, relationships, all that. You know, where what number would you assign to your level of contentment this morning? The minute I ask that, you might say, well, Bobby, can you clarify that a little bit more because there's so many different areas of my life. I would say in family life, it's a this, but in my financial life, it's a this. Oh, in my work life, no, it's not even close to that. And we, become the, we begin to get this complexity of just going, man, life is not as simple as just assigning a number, Pastor. I can be, would you agree that you can be content in one area and very discontent in another area? We're kind of complex. It's not really simple. And yet, folks, I want you to know that when we talk about the power of the resurrection that you and I, when we begin to to, to look at what Paul says here, are really going to be challenged because Paul was able, and I don't think he was just kind of talking out of the side of his mouth. I don't think he was saying, you know, this is going to be in the Bible one day. I better make it sound really good. Paul was able to say, I've learned to be content no matter what situation I find myself in. That's amazing to me. That's a challenge to me. Because as much as I can say, you know, I'm content here and this and this, but, you know, not so content right here, and all of a sudden... Does that mean that the resurrection doesn't apply to that area of my life? Is it one of those things? Is there a power that we have through Christ that doesn't apply? This morning we're going to answer some of those questions. I love how Pastor Andy Stanley uh, approaches that whole area of contentment about just the, the kind of where we are in life. He calls it the land of Ur, that we live in the land of Ur, that we want bigger, we want to be prettier, we want to be skinnier, We want to be smarter. And so we live in this land of er that we just have this desire for more. We want er. Whatever it is that we just add this er at the end. Um, Yeah, (laughs) er. At the end. (laughs) And uh, that we just want, you know, that little bit more. And, you know, sometimes, especially when I'm counseling, I find people kind of get into that stage of their life where they're going, you know, I would be happy if this would happen. And there's always this one thing. And a lot of times it's this elusive thing. It's the thing that they can't quite grab onto. I don't know when you're a little kid if you ever did the merry-go-round. And if it was one of those old-fashioned merry-go-rounds that they had the golden ring out there. And you kind of grab for that golden ring. But, uh, you know, as it goes around, I don't think they do it anymore because of safety reasons now. It's like so many things in life. Okay, put your helmet on to go ride the merry-go-round. But in the old days, there was a merry-go-round and there was a ring. And you, you tried to grab it. And it was always like it was this far from your hand. So you're going, okay, I'm five now, but when I get six, I'm going to be big enough to get it. And for some reason, they moved it out another inch or two. And so you're thinking, maybe seven, maybe eight. And it seemed like just in life, everything was just a little bit, if I just stretch a little bit more, no, I missed it again. And many times, guys, that's that's what happiness and, and joy and so many things in life seem like it's just It's almost there, we're stretching and we're straining, but maybe next year. But the Word of God would instruct us this morning. If we're to hear the Apostle Paul's instruction here, that we've got to remember this isn't Paul necessarily just giving us good advice from Paul's perspective. God used the personality of the writers of the Word of God, of the Bible. But who wrote? Whose word is it? It's God's Word. And so it's not just Paul saying, you know, this is going to really sound good. No, by the instruction of the Holy Spirit upon Paul's life, he instructs him to, to write. And it has the influence and it has the personality of these different people. That's why you read Paul's letter and they're going to sound different from Peter. And he's going to sound different from John. And yet it's all God's word. So as we open up and we begin to look at that, we begin to, to see that we live in this world where things are just kind of maybe sometimes an inch, sometimes a foot away. But we live in a state of wanting, if, if I just had this, or if I could just do this, if I can get a job that paid thousand dollars a year, then, how many of you have ever thought that? Yeah. No, that somehow, that that would just be, you know, man, this is the one dilemma that just keeps on coming back, budget and money, and so if I could just get this other job, I'd be just as happy in that job, but if I could just make a little bit more. And so we begin to fixate on it. Until I make that, somehow just this joy, peace, and even rest is going to be just a little bit farther than what I can reach. Because I, I want you to know that, that that really is a lie. And it's, it's one of those things that Satan would love, and it doesn't have to be money, it can be relationship you can be 28 years old and still looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, and you're going, if I can just find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, if I can just get the right relationship, if just this happens, or if just that happens, then it's all going to come together, and I'm finally going to have contentment and rest. No, it's not found in those things. Now, folks, I am not belittling that we as fallen people in a fallen world have certain joys. If somebody gave me a 20,000 dollar raised today, I would say, praise God, okay? If, you know, all of a sudden somebody wanted to, to gift you this, or a relationship became better, or this, whatever it might be, I'm not discounting that those things affect our lives. We are real people living in a real world with real hardships, and yet, if those are the key to our joy, and if those are the key to contentment, then really, what, what are we here for this if Paul could come back and say, no, the key is not just in acquiring things or the right relationship, or this isn't the key. If these are the things that really make you happy. If he comes back and says, I have learned to be content, but it wasn't because I got a raise. It wasn't because I got the right relationship. Find the, found the right home. Have the right job. No, he said, all this comes because of who I am in Christ. And that's the challenge. Well, Bobby, that sounds really spiritual because it is. It really is. It's a spiritual condition. And so many of the other conditions of our life play off of this foundational spiritual condition in our life. Hey, can you imagine that there are some millionaires, maybe even billionaires out there that are this morning not content? So, so money, obviously, is not the problem. When you look back in the Bible, we have people like Solomon. How many wives did he have? And concubines? There was, a, there was many, wasn't. There? And in the hundreds. And yet he wrote a book and he said, "It's meaningless, meaningless. Folks, it's not just finding that one right relationship on the human level or the right job, or the right this, and then all of a sudden every piece of the puzzle is just going to click and we're going to go, all right, we found it. Because here's what happens a lot of times when we get that elusive thing and we grab it and we think this is the right job. What do we find out about two months into that new job? Well, that's not what I thought it was going to be. Hopefully you don't do that two months into your marriage. You know, it's not one of those things, the right relationship. You know, you stick tried and true. But even in that we say vows because we know that there's going to be better and worse, richer and poor. There's going to be ups and downs. So in this world, when we're looking for stability, when we're looking for a contentment, where do we find that? Philippians chapter 4. Now, again, let me give you the context. We always want to keep God's Word and the instruction in context. What's happening here is, is Paul has received a gift from the Philippians. They've been very generous. They've supported his ministry, as you may support different ministries, as people would go out and do ministry. And maybe you write a check monthly or quarterly or yearly to support that ministry. The Philippians did that to Paul, and they were very generous. So in verse 10, we kind of get this thank you, but it's kind of a little bit of a side-handed thank you, because look what he says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but he had no opportunity. In other words, there was a, a maybe a steady su- supply of uh, some financial help or maybe prayerful help that was coming toward Paul. And he was really appreciative of that, but then there's been a disconnect. Maybe somebody couldn't travel and bring the monies or whatever it is. And Paul says, uh, look, I'm just thankful that now our relationship, you know, your supply, uh, I, I appreciate that. But now look what he says in verse 11, because... This is why it's so important to see the context. He's saying thank you. And he's saying, look, I really appreciate that you're supporting my ministry. But now he gets into the spiritual end, and it's not so much financial. Look what he says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I wonder how many of us could say that this morning. I've just found that no matter what happens life, up and down, left, right, good times and bad times, Easter Sundays and even the Sundays after Easter, that I've learned to be content. I mean, that intrigues me at that point. When I read something like that, I, I get intrigued. I go, okay, what, what's the answer? Is that they were very, very gracious in their monetary gift? And so Paul goes, man, <laughs> it's been challenging the last three months, but uh, hey, I have enough now for three years. That's not quite where Paul is. Paul truly is waiting for his life to end. He's in prison. Uh, At any point in time, the Roman authorities will give the the execute order, and his head will be chopped off. And so Paul knows that it's short, that life, his life is short when he's writing this, and I think that takes some reflection here. But what is it that he's learned? What are you seeing there? What has he learned? Just somebody say it out loud. whatever situation I'm in, to be content. I mean, we could just say contentment, but I think that he used those extra words for a purpose. He can, instead of just saying, hey, I've learned to be content, when I add in there, hey, I've learned in any and every situation, whatever situation I'm in, that I've been content. It adds a little bit of, you know, veracity to it. Because it's not just somebody said, well, you know, we've won the championship four straight years. It's not somebody from the New England Patriots saying, you know... Yeah, we won one more Super Bowl, but, you know, we're getting used to winning Super Bowls. Now, this isn't somebody saying, okay, yeah, we're in last place. I've learned to be content. That's what it would be saying, that whether we win the Super Bowl ring or we come in last place and we don't win a game all season, I've learned in these, these situations to be content. And that starts to speak highly to my heart because it's not just somebody who has buku's of money, buku's of this, buku's of that, saying, you know, I've just learned to be content that sometimes I only make $500,000 a year. I'm going, hey, (laughs) I could be content. Who couldn't be content in that? But that's the whole point. There are some people, if that's what you're kind of, if that's the golden ring and that's what you're trying, there are some people that are trying to grab it and and they've actually grabbed that. They're making buku's of money and yet they found that that wasn't the answer to their life. Again, whether well, it's relationships. Some for some people it's religion. I want to be very careful that I distinguish religion from a life with Christ. a lot of people say, you know, I started going to church and you know it was good for a while, and this, that, and the other, but you know, I'm just not getting much out of it. Or it's not doing it. folks, church can become religion. Morality can become religion. That you just do all the right things. All those do nots, you do not do those. And all the do's, you do those. But apart from Christ there's no vitality there. There's still an emptiness because it's not just in the morality. I'm not making light of morality. I want to make much of Christ. Because that's what God is all about. He didn't just say, okay, I want to make you moral people. And so here's this dilemma. We find out that that he, he had times of plenty of food. He had times where he didn't have enough food. And then we find that He found this secret and it was a learning experience of being content. Look at verse 12 and we begin to see how he describes that. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I want to make a clear distinction. Paul isn't saying, hey, I've just learned to tone it down and to be satisfied with less. Because if that's what he said, then we would ascribe that the secret is a simpler lifestyle. Now, how many of you would first agree that sometimes a simpler lifestyle than what we live is really kind of a good thing? Okay, So we're not denying the fact that simple life sometimes is a very good and even a healthy thing and a very contentful and satisfying thing. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying, hey, I found that I can really do with a lot less. Because if that was the case, then here's the, the answer to our problem. Here's how you can become content. Go give away everything that you have, get down to nothing, and see if you're content. I mean, if it's just to, to kind of do without, then really then we should all become monks. Maybe even take a vow of silence and go off to a hill and spend the rest of our lives in solitary kind of isolation. That's not what he's saying, guys. He says, I know what it is to abound and I know what it's to do without. He said, I've had the extremes of really good times. I've had times of really low times. It's not this giving up and abstaining from things that has given him this hope. There's something besides that. And so we begin to read on. We begin to see that he begins to point everything and kind of focuses to this verse in 13. How many of you have ever heard Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that before? Probably just about almost everybody, okay? Um, Probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. And probably, I would say, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Most of the time, or a lot of time, let's not say most of the time, a lot of the times that we use that without really keeping it in context and understanding what it really means about, we begin to use it for all kinds of things. Two outs, bottom of the ninth, my team down. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're thinking that maybe that home run, it's going to come because Christ is going to strengthen. Now, can Christ strengthen this person to hit this home run? Sure he can. Is that what that verse really means? No. He's not saying, man, two outs, bottom of the ninth, of whatever area of your life, and that God is there and you can count on God for that miracle for health, relationship, ball game, finances. That's not where he's putting his stock. What Paul is saying in this verse that is so misquoted and so misused that he says, look, my relationship now that I'm in Christ and He has died for me, taken my sins away and He's risen from the dead, now because of His life, death and resurrection, who I am in Christ, this milestone of human life is now my milestone and now because I'm in Christ, I can truly say, hey, God, I'm content in you. Christ is enough for me. I wonder if I could say that with real truthfulness this morning. I mean, isn't that a challenging statement? Christ is enough for me. There's a book out that basically says that, uh, Christ, Jesus plus nothing is you know, basically all that you need. And I like it. I mean, I think it's biblical truth. But is that where you are this morning? Can you truly, honestly, before holy God say, you know, man, if I didn't have anything else, if I just had Jesus, that's all, all the true that I need to be content. Most of us probably wouldn't be able to make that as a just a clear statement of conscience. In fact, most of us, but before you get discouraged, remember that he said that he wanted, it, he learned it. <coughs> this is a learning experience. This is something that you just have this epiphany and all of a sudden you're going, okay, here's my life now. No, it's a learning experience. And part of that learning experience, folks, is finding out that some of these other false golden rings that we were grabbing for really don't bring satisfaction. Part of it is finding out that, man, I got the great job, got the great house, got the great this, I got the great whatever, and still there's an emptiness that's stirring in my heart. What could it be? And I would say you expect a pastor to say, well, that's Jesus. That's Christ. Where are you in your relationship and your walk with the one that created you and created you for life, to give you true life? That's what Paul discovered here. He learned in verse 12 when he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance a week. Well, what was the secret? Was it that he became super religious? No. Even though he was a, the, one of the leading guides of the whole New Testament. Did he take a vow of poverty? No, I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to go off to the hill and I'm just going to you know, live in silence and bread and water. No, that's not the route that he takes. What he says is that he begins to realize that his greatest need, his greatest need ever, was Christ. And when he looks at what Christ does and he begins to see what Christ has has done through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, Paul could trust three things in his life. First, he could trust the providence of God. That's a fancy theological word of saying, the plans of God. It still amazes me that God has a plan for your life. I mean, doesn't that amaze me? If, if, if I just said, hey, God has a plan for earth, can you kind of grasp that? Can you kind of grasp that God has a plan even for peoples? But is it sometimes hard to grasp that God has a plan for your life, that he's that personal and with God? I mean, maybe we would say that maybe if we grew up in church and we've always heard that all of our life, so we would give a affirming nod to that. But, but doesn't that overwhelm you? that the providence of God, that he has a plan for your name, for your life. That, that word providence very much is uh, this knowledge of God. It comes from the uh, Latin words pro, meaning before, and video, like we use video to see. So before you see. In other words, God sees your life, my life, before we do. And there are going to be times that... God has a a left, and we were really wanting to take a right. Have you ever had one of those? Or we wanted to stop, and he said, no, hit the gas. Or we wanted to hit the gas, and he said, no, hit the brakes. And so we're trying to figure out this plan, this providence of God. And Paul came to a place. Remember where he is. He's in prison, guys. He's about ready to get his head chopped off. And yet he can say, you know, I, I really trust God's plan. I really do. he comes to a second thing. He said, not only do I trust his plan, but I trust his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Another one of those verses that we love to quote, but sometimes we quote out of context. We kind of quote it to like, okay, everything's going to work out. That's not what it really says. It says, okay, number one, for Christians, for those that are called according to God and the." we know that these things, those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God is working those purposes for one major thing, and that is his glory. And then when it concerns you, for you to become more and more like Christ. All the events of your life, God wants to kind of turn into this place to where they're working to conform you more and more into the image of Christ. That's what verse 29 says. And we leave that off because we just want verse 28 that says, okay, at the end of the day, this mistake, this bad turn, this thing over here that I didn't do right, I want it just to all turn out and be good. Well, the promise of God is that he's working for good, but sometimes God's good is really challenging. Go ask Joseph. Out of all the guys in the Old Testament that I really get challenged with as far as going, God, that just didn't seem fair. We love that word fair nowadays. I mean, could you see where Joseph would have a legitimate gripe? That he does a lot of right things, and, and yet he comes to this place where he's always getting the short end of the stick. It's kind of, what is up with this? He tells the truth, and he still gets in trouble. He runs away from Potiphar's wife, and he still gets in trouble. No matter what he does, even though he's doing the right thing, he still kind of gets in trouble. And you're going, okay, what is with me? You know, is there a sign on my head? No, we begin to find out at the very end of Joseph's life what it was all about. Look all the way back in Genesis. It's up there on the screen, Genesis 45.5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He's talking to the brothers that had sold him to slavery. He says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph came to a place and instead of being angry with those that offended him, and that worked against him, he said, you know, I, I see God's big plan now. Maybe that comes with the age. Maybe it comes with maturity. Maybe you have to get as old as Paul is. I don't know, but it's a learning process. And more and more, as we trust the resurrection, we can say, okay, God, that didn't look so good when they were putting the crown of thorns. That didn't look so good when they were putting him through false trials. That didn't look so good when they yelled out, crucify him, crucify him, we won't barabbas. That story didn't look good, but it ended up pretty good. He went into the grave. That didn't look very good. But three days later, he rose from the dead. That looked pretty good. And there's going to be times in our lives, guys, that it really is. It's kind of like the crown of thorns. And please don't hear anything sacrilegious there. But it, we're going to be kind of wearing some of that... Uh, You know, things in our lives that are just not agreeable. And it's going to be like something has died in our life. Maybe a relationship or a job or whatever it is. And then it's three days before we see a resurrection that happened there. Again, I don't want to belittle what really happened with Jesus. But there's going to be times in our lives that we really kind of go through some of those things. And we're going, this is bad, bad, bad. Until we see the good. And it was that eventual good that was proclaimed in Genesis Fifty twenty. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Old Testament. This is the end of Joseph's life. And he says, "As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive, as they are today." Remember the rest of the story? Famine in the land. Joseph happens to be second in control. He gets to administer what happens on all the farms and what they do with all the crops. He says, save this. We're going to use this, but we're going to save this, so that when those uh, that time of famine came, they had plenty to eat. He wasn't just talking practical in that verse. He says, look, I've, here's what I've learned. The plans of God, the purpose of God, go far beyond. And it doesn't look good at the time, but I can trust that. And there's one last thing that we begin to see in this passage of Philippians, and that is the provision of God. Another one of those favorite verses, Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We entrust those plans of God and, and the purposes of God with the provision of God. Here Paul is at the very end of his life. And he says, man, I can trust God you're going to provide. Did that mean that he got an escape and they broke into the jail and they kind of took him and he lived for another 20 years? No, that's not what happened. As much as we can tell about biblical history uh, or the history outside of what the Bible records here, Paul does. His life ends pretty soon after this. We don't know if it was weeks, months, or whatever. But it wasn't kind of that fairy tale ending where everybody lives happily ever after their own earth. His life really is taken. He says, this great statement, my God, this personal relationship I have got, God, He's going to supply every need that I have. And not all my wants, not all my desires, and especially not a lot of the things that are going to be kind of a side attraction. But I can truly trust that he, everything that I need, He's going to supply. How do I know that? How can I say that with clarity? Because He's already provided what I need it most, forgiveness of sin. I mean, would, would God really ever take anything that was really needed in your life if he made an answer for your sin? What cost God more than anything in your life and my life? Our sin. He made a full payment through his son, Jesus Christ. So if, if that's the extreme that God would go, you know, what he, what he says here basically, look, my, my God to supply that he's a providing god and he was able to come to that place where he truly could say Christ it's enough for me maybe you're not there this morning maybe you know, there's still a lot of things that are discontent but it's a learning experience and the resurrection what easter makes easter so wonderful guys is not only that we get this spiritual life but it's not and it's not just that we get heaven We get that satisfaction or that contentment now of knowing that Christ truly is with us. Remember last week we said that every promise that Christ has made, that God has made, has been now made, yes, amen, in Jesus, in this work of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when he says things like, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, he means that we can count on that. When he says, look, I I give you, you feel like you cannot go a step more, I'll give you that strength and that ability. I'll build your faith for that opportunity that sits before you. It's because of his faithfulness in the cross in that most dramatic of ways and his death, burial, and resurrection that now we can take every one of these promises and we can say, yes, Christ, you are enough for me. And so my prayer this morning is that we would, as we would contemplate this, that we would come to a place of just saying more and more and more this morning. God, will you teach me how to truly rely on the work that's been done so that I can put all my faith and all my trust in that and have a place in my life where I can truly say I'm content in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, uh, what bold words Paul says there. For this kind of uh, seems maybe even a little over our head that we can't grasp how we could truly have a life filled with contentment. And yet, Father, this morning we come and we see what has happened in that Passion Week with Christ going to trial for us, for Him being accused of sins that He never committed so that He could pay the price of our sin, being buried in a borrowed tomb, rising again in three days in victory. Father, we pray that this day that we would understand that that victory that was Christ now, Father, has been made available to us as we live Christ's uh, life in him. And so, Father, I thank you that we can have those examples like Paul, that this morning, Father, we can say, yes, when we are in Christ, when we have committed by faith our hearts and our lives to him, that, Father, we can find contentment no matter how stormy life gets. So, Father, as we sing this last song, is a prayer, Father, we pray that even if we're at the very beginning of this learning stage, that you would help us to, to learn this more and more, that we can put our total faith and trust. We can find total contentment and joy and peace in your Son, we love you and we thank you for the gift of Christ. And it's in the power of his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www dot corner dash stone dot org or find us on Facebook.